Well, glory to God. Lord Jesus is the one and only. Let's stand, uh, and I want to read one verse to you as we uh, turn our attention to God's Word. And uh, it's going to be from 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5 and verse number 20. And we're still in the life of Joseph. Joseph's life is an Old Testament illustration of this New Testament explanation. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. If you're a believer in Jesus, this verse talks about who you are. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. So how does God make His appeal to uh, unbelievers? How does He do that? Through us. That's our focus this morning to think about what it means to be an ambassador for Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for Jesus, that he is the one and only. And life's only to be found in him. Peace only to be found in him. Forgiveness of our sins only to be found in him. So Father, help us now as we've been studying through the life of Joseph to see that These aren't just things that were true of them in that place at that time. That the whole reason, by and large, the record of Joseph and his brothers, their betrayal, his redemption, their reconciliation, and their ministry of reconciliation are preserved for us in the Bible is for our understanding of what we are to be about in the world right now. So give us grace to see it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you may be seated. If you've got your Bibles, you might want to find Genesis 45 and simultaneously 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verses 11 through uh, 21. So our subject this morning is ambassadors of the reigning king. And I used this illustration before, but to kind of use it again to put it before us, uh, one of my favorite things to do in all the world right now is to read books to uh, my three-year-old girl, Juliana. She'll cl- crawl up into my lap and I'll open it. Now, she can't read, right? I mean, she's sharp, but she's not quite that sharp. But, but uh, she, she can look at the pictures, right? So we'll flip the, the, the book the, the page by page, and every time we get to a new page, I watch her eyes, and they just dart up and down the whole page, right? And while I'm saying things to her, while she can't read, she can understand what's going on by and large because she can see the picture, right? I mean, that's how books work. I'm stating the very obvious uh, right now. And in the, uh, in the Bible, how it will frequently work is the Old Testament serves to illustrate what the New Testament explains. And so what we want to do this morning is with that understanding right before us, those two passages of Scripture are going to work that way. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 through 21 is going to be an explanation. There are going to be a lot of words there, and we're going to read through them. But what we want to see is Genesis 45 is the picture, right? So what we'd be able to do is, like uh, my daughter, Juliana, uh, eyes darting all around the picture. We can do that with Genesis 45 to help us understand the scope and uh, really the heart behind 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 through 21. So just so we're caught up, we're all on the same page. Genesis 45 is this beautiful picture, isn't it, of, God, uh, of, rec- of God's reconciliation. We have Joseph... 
and his brothers being reconciled. For 20 plus years, they've lied about what they did to Joseph, and for 20 plus years, they've lied to their father. But reconciliation, as we've learned, requires three things for true biblical reconciliation. Three things are necessary. First is the genuine repentance of those who have sinned, the genuine repentance of those who have done wrong. Secondly, what's required is the faithful intercession to cover that sin. And we've seen that when Judah steps forward and says, take me instead of Benjamin. And then the third thing that's required for true reconciliation to happen is the willingness of the one who was wronged to forgive, right? And when reconciliation happens, it's not just forgiveness, as uh, I don't mean that that's some small thing, but it's a restoration of the relationship 100%, right? That Joseph and his brothers have a deeper and more abiding relationship now that they're reconciled than they've ever had before. And then immediately, it happens like this, as soon as the brothers are reconciled, Joseph then gives them a ministry of reconciliation. He says, Yes, we reconciled, but it's not just for us to sit at the table. They do all that, but now he sends them out. So, real quick, if we're understanding the Bible, you can understand and appreciate, I think, what a wonderful moment that is for Joseph and his brothers. But that's no less a moment, if you're a believer in Jesus, than you've had with God himself. Amen? That you have been reconciled to him. And as dramatic and as awesome, and when you really begin to think about it and tears come to your eyes of these brothers in reconciliation, that's what God has offered you in Christ Jesus. It's, your, your experience should be no less, right? In fact, our experience with God should be even deeper than what Joseph and his brothers have experienced. And to follow that up, as Joseph's brothers are sent out to go back to Canaan and tell their dad, hey, Joseph is alive. Joseph reigns and Joseph provided for you and you're to come to him no less than their urgency is our urgency that you have been reconciled now to be a minister of reconciliation it would be unthinkable for Joseph to do all that he's done for his brothers and to send them out and for them to not go with urgency and joy and they're not bickering anymore they're not fighting among themselves they are going to do what Joseph has asked them to do because of his great love for them and forgiveness. And in the same way, Jesus has reconciled us to himself and he has given us now a ministry of reconciliation, a word that would help us understand our role in the world is right here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. Therefore, therefore, what he's talking about, because we've been reconciled, we are now ambassadors of Christ. God making his appeal through us. And you see that in Genesis 45. The brothers go to Jacob. Joseph, as it were, makes his appeal to Jacob through the brothers. That's what it means to be an ambassador. The simple dictionary definition of ambassador is this, an authorized messenger or representative. I want to put a, a couple of pictures up on the screen, and we'll start with this one. Does anybody know who this gentleman is? Anybody here in the room know who that guy right there is? His name's John. In fact, his name's John Teft. Not John Tesh. John Teft. He is the American ambassador to Russia, right? That's his job. That's who he is. Would you say that's an important job? Absolutely, that's an important job. Uh, let me, let me, uh, one more picture. Does anybody know who this gentleman is? His name's Terry Brandstaff. He's the American 
ambassador to China. Authorized messenger, right? Someone who's given a role and a responsibility to represent another, right? That's what it means to be an ambassador. You don't know who he is, but would we agree he's got an important role, right? So we can take their pictures off. Just real quick, nobody knows who they are. But if we put pictures on the screen of the last, say, three, four, five, depending on your age and your, you know, whatever, if we put the last several presidents on the screen, most everybody in the room would say, yeah, I know who that is. Yeah, I know who that is. And yeah, I know that. So the author, uh, um, the important thing is the ambassador's not popular or well-known or a celebrity, but everybody knows the one that he represents, right? And that's how it will be in your life. It doesn't matter. Listen, please, it doesn't matter if you're popular or well-known or long-remembered. There's only one name, sort of what we've been talking about all day, right? Every song we've sung. There's only one name, the name of Jesus. That's what matters, amen? Is he known. God makes his appeal through us. Our responsibility and role is that we're simply ambassadors, authorized messengers or representatives. Ambassadors, friends, are not policymakers, Uh, Their roles are not to show up in Moscow or Beijing and say, here's what we need to do around here. No, they're entrusted with a message to relay. And it's not up to them. This is important. It's not up to them to alter the message. It's not up to them to change the message. Ambassadors are simply expected to conduct themselves in accordance with the message that they carry. So with sort of that understanding in mind, if you've got an insert on one side is the sermon outline. On the flip side are the home group questions that we'll go through this, uh, this coming Wednesday. We want to think about this in terms of being ambassadors of the king, ambassadors of Christ. Let's go on and get zoom out from 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20, and get the whole section there beginning in verse 11. Paul writing says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it's known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you. It's not what an ambassador does. But giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what's in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it's for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this. That one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. A wonderful summary. That's verses of the Christian life. Verse 16, from now on, therefore, having died to our own way of life and living for another, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. The days of judging and thinking about people on the basis of their outward appearance is what he's saying are done even though we once regarded christ according to the flesh we regard him thus no longer therefore if anyone is in christ he is a new creation the old has passed away behold the new has come and this is from god who through christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation you see again friends those two things go together that is in christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, making his appeal 
through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So this morning, my primary hope is you walk out with an understanding that your chief role in the world is to be an ambassador of Christ. And sometimes I don't know that we have that, right? If somebody comes up to you and just says, tell me a little bit about yourself in American culture, the first thing we often say is what? What we do, where we work. So here's just a, here's just a little adjustment. No longer think of yourself as I work in the healthcare field or I work in the uh, banking industry or I work in education or I do this. Think of yourself, I am an ambassador of Christ at the hospital. I am an ambassador of Christ at the school. I am ambassador of Christ in my workplace, at my business, in my home, right? That's what Paul is saying, that the chief role that we have as the reconciled is the ministry of reconciliation. So pretty quickly, I know it looks like a lot of notes there, and we're going to go through it fairly quickly, and I just want to share with you several things about an effective ambassador or, or um, uh, in terms of our role in the world. And we're going to pull all of these things right here from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And as we do so, we might not articulate this at every point, but as we do so, if you've been in our study of Joseph, think back about his brothers, and everything that we say will be illustrated in their lives, right? So first of all, let's talk about uh, simply and straightforward the ambassador's profile. The ambassador's profile. In other words, what does is, what is, uh, he or she look like? What's true of their character, right? So the first thing right out of the gate is this. Ambassadors are, have loyalty. Loyalty. Ambassador's loyal. His or her goal is not to be approved or adored by the people to whom he has been, uh, to whom he has been sent. Does that make sense? In other words, our good friend John Taft in Moscow, his goal is not to be the most popular person there is in Moscow among the Russians, right? He's got a responsibility and he's got a role. He's to be loyal. What happens if an ambassador, just say an American ambassador to a foreign country is not loyal? What do you think would happen? He'd be called on back, he or she, right? You can no longer continue in that, in that role. It's what Paul's saying here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Is that your heart? When I'm wherever I am, when I'm at home, when I'm in the neighborhood, when I'm at church, when I'm in my workplace, my aim is to please him. And just as every ambassador of the United States is sent out and at some point, I'm sure, has to come home and uh, appear before the Secretary of State or whomever, look what Paul says, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Did you read that? Did you hear that? There's coming a moment where we're going to stand before Christ. Now, let's get, our, let's get our doctrine and our teaching clear. I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, so there is therefore now no condemnation for me as a believer in Christ Jesus. When Paul says we're going to stand before his judgment seat, he's not talking about a judgment of guilt or innocent. I've been covered by the blood of Christ. Amen? So, so uh, I'm not going to stand to give an account of my sin but I will stand to give an account of my ministry of reconciliation. Does that make sense? 
As a believer, I will not stand before him and give an account of, of whether or not I've been reconciled. I have. What I will give an account for is how I live my life, the stewardship of my days as an ambassador of Christ, and then to receive what's due for what he's done in the body, whether good or evil. We will not give an account for our sin if we're followers of Jesus, but we will give an account for our ministry, how we've lived our lives. So the ambassador who forgets this accountability is a disaster waiting to happen, right? And we just go out and live, and oh, I don't have to give an account to anybody. The, the effective ambassador of Christ remembers he's sent by God and now accountable to God for the accuracy of our message. So, let's think about the last week. When you look over the last week of your life, is it marked by loyalty to Christ, your words, your actions, your time? Was it full of love and loyalty and devotion to the one who's reconciled you to himself? I just won't, I won't leave that point. I just don't want it to be misunderstood. The ministry of reconciliation comes after the reconciliation. Amen? So the whole life that's lived as an ambassador is in response to the forgiveness, the goodness, the grace of God. So we serve willingly and we serve um, as the reconciled. So the two mistakes we could get again is to think we could be reconciled without having a ministry of reconciliation or cause great harm those who seek to have a ministry of reconciliation who've not truly ever been reconciled. So I told you we'd go quick so let's keep moving <laughs> quickly. Is Secondly, the ambassador is going to be marked by integrity. Integrity. The way you live your life. Is the ambassador trustworthy? So this is important for two reasons. First, if an ambassador lacks integrity, his presence will lower the reputation of the government that sent him in the eyes of the people to whom he sent, right? And that can happen. I mean, you've probably heard it more, than, more, more times than any other criticism of the gospel. It's very rarely it's a criticism of Christ and his teaching. It's often a criticism of the ambassadors, right? Well, they say they believe such and such, but look at their lives, right? And sometimes those criticisms are unjust, and sometimes, friends, they are just. So if you claim to be an ambassador for Christ and don't live out the message, we lower the opinion of Christ in the eyes of those who do not know him. And I honestly cannot think of anything worse than that. Can you? To lower the opinion of Christ in the eyes of others from the way that we live. He's making his appeal through us, so the appeal has to come from a source of integrity. And secondly, the whole point of sending the ambassador is to build relationships of trust, right? So some people, I think, do come to faith in Christ through listening to a podcast or reading a book on their own. Uh, just picked up a book and it looks interesting or reading through the Bible. But the majority of people here who are followers of Jesus, and I think it would go by and large for the world, come to faith in Jesus by being loved by, talked to, uh, about Jesus by and seeing the example of ordinary, everyday followers of Christ. Who, If we put the pictures on the screen of who led you to Christ, by and large, they would be ordinary, everyday people. And you know why that's true? Because that's the way God has designed it. He makes his appeal through us. Paul remains focused on his mission as a person of integrity, even though he's greatly criticized. I just want to point this out. This will help us our roles as ambassadors. Look at verse 11 again. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Got to resolve this. Do you fear God or do you fear people? 
If, if, knowing the fear of people, you'll never persuade others. Knowing the fear of the Lord, that's what he just said. Connect verse 11 to verse 10. I'm going to stand before him. Knowing the fear of the Lord, I've got to give an account of my life. We persuade others, but what we are known, but what we are is known to God. And I hope that it's known to your conscience also. Do you see what he said? Who I really am, God really knows. Now just, just go on and resolve this, friends. You ready for this? As an ambassador of Christ, there are going to be all sorts of people in your life who say things about you that are not true. As Chuck Swindoll said uh, in a sermon I listened to years ago, to, to, to be a witness is to be misunderstood. And people will say things about you. Now, here's what Paul's getting at, because this is what happens. If somebody says something that's not true, or they misrepresent, or they say you said this, and you, just, you, you can't spend your life trying to track all that down. That's what Paul said. What I am is known to God. Now, I hope, he says, I hope it's known also to you. I mean, Paul had spent 18 months in Corinth. He says, we're not commending ourselves to you. So you put that to death when you follow Jesus, to be popular, to be well-liked, and so on and so forth. You're going to be a person of integrity. We, we have to be accurate representatives by his grace and through his spirit. We cannot represent a truthful God and be prone to lying, can we? We cannot represent a pure and holy God and be saturated with impure, ungodly habits or to be attracted to unrighteous and impure entertainment and say, now I'm an ambassador for a holy God. We cannot represent a merciful God and show no mercy. We cannot present a loving God and be unloving. We cannot represent a God who's patient and slow to anger if we are always flying off the handle. People of integrity. Third, our profile is we're people of humility. The very nature of being an ambassador requires you not to commend yourself, but the one you represent. This is the distinguishing mark in some ways as a follower of Jesus. This is where you separate yourself from the world. If you're still dead in your trespasses and sins, your whole life is wrapped up in you. And your whole message that you proclaim is you. Some people get this completely confused. They think that God's their ambassador. That God exists, that God exists to proclaim their message. That God is their representative. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I have no right to think that God would be my ambassador. And I have no right as his representative. Now listen to me. To alter, abbreviate, compromise, water down, update, add to, or take away from his message. I'm an ambassador of Christ. Now, I am sent into a world that does not, by and large, believe that message. Now, an effective ambassador, I think, does study and think about where he or she is sent. I mean, I would, I would hope and think that the uh, ambassador to China knows a whole lot about that culture, right? The ambassador to Russia knows a whole lot about that, that culture. We want to understand the culture, but the culture doesn't dictate to us the message. Does that make sense? Now, I'm saying that because this is a danger, dangerous game that churches can play. Is we're going to alter or update or some other way change the message so that it's more palatable to the culture. And friends... The message of the gospel of Jesus Christ will never be palatable to the unbelieving culture. So what is the message? Well, Paul, uh, in Titus chapter 2, pretty good, succinct message, uh, summary of the message. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Amen? Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing and the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness 
and to purify for himself a people of his own possession. Humility. And secondly, uh, we should be marked for ambassadors of Christ by love. Now, I do want to say, the effect of ambassador combines loyalty to the one he represents with love to those to whom he is sent. See that in verse 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. The love of Christ, perhaps your translation reads, compels us. Because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Friends, the only thing that sustains us to be faithful ambassadors of Christ over the long haul is Christ's love for those to whom you've been sent. That's what he's talking about. The love of Christ compels us. What love is he talking about? Well, if you get way down deep into the word study, he's not, Paul's not talking about Paul's love for Jesus controls him. He's talking about Christ's love for people compels him. Because Christ's love doesn't change. Amen? His love is unchanging. We're kind of fickle, aren't we? I mean, anybody, uh, just, com- just here's, here's one example. Compare the average family at the start of the school year to the average family at the end of the school year. Can you just kind of picture that in your mind, right? New outfit, everything's spotless and clean and ready to go, and the lunch is packed overnight, the books are all neat. The first day of school, right? And we might not even, honestly, we might not even go, have to go to the end of school. We could probably just go to right now, a weekend, right? <laughs> a weekend! The first day, everybody's up, everybody's chipper. Maybe not, I don't know. Maybe it's a bad illustration. You're like, that, that's not how it was in my house. But we're very fickle by nature, right? January 1st, gym every day, January 3rd. We're fickle. But friends, Christ's love for the world is not. He doesn't change. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. John 3, 16, Romans, Romans 5, 8. For God's demonstrated his love and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So, uh, the ambassador is only sustained in the role as ambassador because of Christ's love for the people to whom he's been sent. So, the quick summary of this first point. Loyalty, integrity, humility, and love. You put all these together, we're talking about his, his or her character. Your character as an ambassador. Robert Murray McShane, a great pastor and author, said, of his own role as a pastor. My people's greatest need is my personal holiness. It's not so much great gifts that God uses as it is great likeness to Jesus. And you plant somebody beside, uh, uh, as a neighbor who's like Jesus, their neighbor's going to come to hear about Christ. I believe that. Let's talk secondly about the ambassador's responsibility. Number two, the ambassador's responsibility. It's a little bit different on the field as an American ambassador. We've probably talked about this before, but do you, you think that uh, John Teft, the American ambassador to Russia, who's in um, Moscow, I think, I don't, maybe he's not there right now, but very likely there, uh, his morning might be a little bit different than, say, the American ambassador to St. Lucia, right? Maybe with the hurricane going on, I, I don't even know my geography, I, I'm, I'm, if, if St. Lucia's been in the... Okay, but you understand what I've different, the difference between the roles, right? It's, it's different to be an ambassador in a nation. Uh, the political phrase would be where my America has vital interest, right? 
But here's what I want you to know. There's no speck of dirt on the planet that Christ doesn't have vital interest. Every language, every tongue, every tribe. So two, two quick things. Is first, the ambassador's responsibility is he must listen to one who is under authority. Verse 19, that is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the ministry of reconciliation. I mean, I've always been fascinated by this, that in Luke chapter 24, these women are going to the tomb on the third day. And the Bible says when they got there, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And they were puzzled about this. And then behold, two men in dazzling apparel stood by them and said, why do you look for the living among the dead? And they were terrified and put their faces to the ground. And I just got to tell you, why not just let those two men in dazzling apparel, these angels, just go through all the earth, right? I mean, don't you think they could get some people's attention? I mean, why don't they just go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth? Why don't they just go and proclaim the message? And here's why. They're not the reconciled. You are. God has entrusted to the reconciled the ministry of reconciliation. We have to listen as those who are under the authority. Can you imagine, just to keep going back to these examples, for the uh, American ambassador to, to Beijing to never take the Secretary of State's calls? That would be the equivalent of us never listening to what he has to say. If we don't listen as those who are under authority, we have no message to proclaim. Neither could uh, one of the ambassadors get a message from the Secretary of State, read it over and decide, I think I'll share something else. Or maybe not, I won't share all of this. Now, his agenda is written for him or her, the ambassadors on the field. So secondly, uh, well, first, the ambassador listens as one who's under authority. So one of the ways we think about it is our church is an embassy, right? Secondly, ambassadors must speak as one who is given authority. That's what this verse is saying. We have been reconciled, and therefore he's entrusted to us the ministry of reconciliation. Many years ago, 1965, the American government began to take inventory and established a team to review the diplomatic service. Some things had come up. They said, we just got to get all on the same page. And here's what the committee's report said. When an ambassador overseas negotiates or speaks in private or in public, his audience needs to feel that he or she speaks with the authority of the President of the United States. And isn't that what Paul's saying here? We listen as those who are under authority, and then we speak as those who are given authority. Now imagine the confusion or anger of a people on finding that an ambassador who'd been living among them had lied to them, misrepresenting his government. I think about this a lot in light of 2 Corinthians, that I must stand before Jesus and give an account. And one of my great fears would be that I pastored people in such a way that they hadn't heard the whole gospel. I want you to hear the whole gospel. I don't want to hold anything out because it might not be popular or, 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 or might not be... Uh, in line with the culture of our day. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and repent, as the scripture says. So quickly, we'll go to number three, the ambassador's message. We're going to do this pretty quickly for the sake of time. Say, am I proclaiming an accurate message with my words? I'll give you several things that we're to speak about that we'll bring them straight from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 
First of all, we are to speak about God. It seems sometimes in our lives we'll talk about anything but God. An ambassador of Christ makes no more sense for an ambassador of Christ to not speak about God than it would be for an American ambassador and you name the city to never speak about America, right? So, so our message first is we speak about God. I was quoting from Paul in these few verses. All this is from God. God was reconciling the world to himself. God committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. It is God who is making his appeal through us. Be reconciled to God. God made Christ for our sins. We are to, be, we are to become the righteousness of God all through. Paul's talking about God. That's what ambassadors do. They talk about the one who sent. Stuart Briscoe said, our ministry must be God-centered and people-related, not people-centered and God-related. Secondly, we are to speak about Jesus Christ. We don't just speak about God in general terms. We speak specifically about what God has done through Christ. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. God has reconciled to us to himself through Christ. We are Christ's ambassador. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. Christ was made sin on our behalf so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Our aim is not just to teach people Christian doctrine, but to help them know and love Jesus. To see him, know him, love him, treasure him, worship him, and to proclaim him. It's the message. Third, we are to speak about sin. Verse 19, that is, in, God, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the ministry of reconciliation. Again, the ambassador is not at liberty to replace this with some other issue he deems preferable. We cannot have a gospel that doesn't talk about sin any more than we can have a gospel that doesn't talk about Christ. So if we replace the message of sin with some other message, of fulfillment and satisfaction or whatever one of the other buzzwords of our culture would be, we're not preaching the gospel. What is it? We say Jesus saves. What is it that he is saving us from? Colin Smith gives this example, so I'll quote him. So about a recent trip to the grocery store. He said, I was in the mood for Feeblers, not Feeblers, Keebler's fudge stripe cookies. I relate. There's some nights I'm in that mood too. So he says, I went to the cookie aisle. And while on the aisle, I saw a package of chocolate chip cookies. And here was the, the name of the cookies. Sinful Selections. On the same shelf, he says, was displayed another item called Raspberry Temptations. The side pocket of the snack bag said, quote, Our sinful selection chocolate chip cookies are a truly sinful 40% chocolate chip by weight. Old-fashioned, listen to this, old-fashioned goodness never tasted this good. So a great deal of thinking goes behind this marketing strategy, doesn't it? What's the thinking behind this marketing strategy to call something sinful selection? It must be this, that the manufacturers regarded sinful as a, world, as a word that would be attractive to a majority of people. Instead of a degrading thing that leads to the judgment of God, sin is perceived as an enjoyable thing that only the stuffiest of people would avoid, Right? So when we talk about sin and the need to repent of sin, here's what a lot of people hear. Just stop eating some chocolate chip cookies, right? 
They think that we get uptight about small matters, trivial matters, so that when we say Christ died for our sins, and people don't perceive that sin is much of a problem, they don't think of Jesus as much, as an, uh, as much of an answer. And that's the strategy in the world today. The biblical understanding of sin revolves around the idea of offending God. And that's what makes it so serious. But we're so inundated in a sinful culture that the very notion of offending a holy God seems trivial. I hope it doesn't seem that way to you. J.I. Packer said to be convicted of sin is not just to feel that one is an all-around flop, but to realize that one has offended a holy God, has flouted his authority, and defied him, and come against him, and put oneself in the wrong with him. So in light of that, God, Christ, and sin, we are next to speak about reconciliation. We are to speak about reconciliation. Yes, we speak about sin, but never present the problem without presenting the remedy. God has made reconciliation possible in Christ. Amen. And then third, we are to speak about hope. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, one of the most hopeful declarations in all the Bible. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So we see an ambassador's message to speak of God, to speak of Christ, to speak of sin, to speak of reconciliation, to speak of hope, backed up with a character of integrity. And then lastly and quickly, fourth and finally, the ambassador's goal. What is an ambassador actually trying to achieve and accomplish? all the difference in the world between the task of an American ambassador and say St. Lucia and maybe a place like Benghazi, right? We're not proclaiming that being an ambassador is necessarily safe. The Holy Spirit is inspiring the author of this and at the end of his earthly life, his ambassadorship will result in his death. So let me give you a few things that are the ambassador's goal. Don't put on the list safety and comfort. That's not the goal. Do put on the list, number one, persuasion. Persuasion. 2 Corinthians 5.11, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. The word persuasion is very important. When you persuade somebody, you're changing how they what? Think. And conversion is not a set of religious feelings all warm and fuzzy a person doesn't become a christian unless he or she is persuaded of the truth of the gospel and on that basis confesses christ as lord so just read these verses real quickly to you we studied last year through the book of acts just a, just a sample talking about paul acts 9 29 he talked and debated with the grecian jews acts 17 2 as was his custom paul went into the synagogue on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. Acts 18.4. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. Acts 19.8. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the, teach, uh, about the kingdom of God. Acts 18.11. So Paul spent a, stayed a year and a half teaching them the word of God. Acts 28.31. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught them about the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 28.23. From morning till evening, he explained and declared to them the kingdom of God and tried to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and the prophets. These are all verbs, debate, reason, persuade, that are talking about 
changing someone's mind. And that's the work of conversion. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So one, the goal is persuasion. Who are you actively in your life right now trying to persuade unto Christ? Secondly is invitation. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 24. Therefore we are ambassadors of Christ. God making his appeal through us. Appeal uh, uh, is the uh, same word that's sometimes translated implore. It's not a passive word. Do you have urgency in your heart that the people around you come to know Christ? Think about Joseph's brothers when they show up. They're probably talking, uh, talking above one another, trying to get the message, message out to their dad. There's a passion behind this word. Paul's not a philosopher who finds fulfillment in well-crafted lectures. He doesn't write Romans and think to himself, wow, this should win an award as the best articulation of the gospel in the history of the world, although it is. No, he wants people to be saved. Do you? Do you want to see other people saved? The, the ambassador shows up to persuade and invite. And then the third thing, and finally the last point is the ambassador's goal is to see transformation, see people's lives truly changed. That's articulated best in verse 15. He died for all. Those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. There's no higher privilege than the calling to be an ambassador of Christ. Amen? And God sends us out to communicate his word of reconciliation to our contemporaries who do not know who he is, do not know what he's done. And Christ will speak through the mouths of his ambassadors and through their work, he may reconcile many people to himself. So just a check for today, just a check. We're going to continue through the study of the life of Joseph. We're going to go into chapter 46 next week. But just in your life right now, is this how you view yourself as a follower of Jesus? So maybe you just want to, I don't know, I mean, you don't have to print a business card or anything like that, but just get yourself and says, here's my name, I am an ambassador of Christ. When I go into school tomorrow, I go into that classroom, God has placed me there. I'm not going to waste my school days complaining and being a grumbler, uh, so on and so forth. I go in there as an ambassador of Christ. When I go to the office tomorrow morning, am I going to go with the understanding God has planted me there to be an ambassador of Christ? In my family, God has put me there to be an ambassador of Christ. We're going to stand together, and we're going to pray together. And the invitation is uh, very simple. If you've never been reconciled to God through Christ Jesus, if you've never been reconciled to God through Christ Jesus, do you see in 2 Corinthians 5 what he's done? May God give you grace to be persuaded that Jesus is the one and only hope that we have. And secondly, as we bow our heads and we'll pray, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, you're going to have a day, there's going to be a moment where you will stand before him. Again, not on a guilty or not guilty verdict, Jesus has handled that on the cross forever. Hallelujah. But we will stand before him to give an account of the stewarding of our lives, how we served in the role as ambassadors for Christ in the world. I want you to see, using the picture of Joseph's brothers, 
that they were joyful. They were hopeful. They were eager because they've been reconciled. See how it goes. If you've truly been reconciled, the ministry of reconciliation is not a burden. It should land on us as, well, what else would we do? Of course, 